Well, this morning, if you haven't turned already, uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. And we are going to, uh, as we always do, we are continuing through the Gospel of Matthew, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, line upon line, precept upon precept. Uh, it's an incredible ministry, uh, expositional teaching. You know, when I first came to the Lord, I was in a church that did topicals and that's fine. It's great. You know, there's a lot of very good, very conservative churches that teach topically. When I came to Calvary Chapel and heard the expositional teaching, the line upon line, the verse upon verse, it's like, wow, what a difference. Like it, it really is amazing as a person sitting in the seats of the pews. Like I was really just like, gosh, that's great. You know, like you, you learn so much more, so much, there's so much detail on it. And then not only that, but then when I became a pastor and started teaching uh, with Joey, Joey always, you know, it, it was, Joey's very um, specific about his Bible studies and it, he, he could never let me like continue. Like, like if he's going through, you know, the gospel of Matthew, he would have to fit, do every verse in Matthew. It's like, I couldn't come in, you know, be going there and teach something and go, cause he'd feel like it, it would just throw off his whole game. So he couldn't do that. So I would always have to teach topicals and guys, you got to know that when you look at the Bible and Joey says, Hey, Brian, you're going to teach next week. Be ready. And then you go, okay, what am I going to teach on? And you look at the Bible. There's a lot of stories here. There's a lot of topics. It's intimidating. Like, gosh, what do I do? What do I do? And you know what? Just in a, a very sense of keeping it real and keeping it simple. You know, when you, when you do a, a, a expositional teaching, you always know what the next study is. Even whether you like it, whether you don't like it, whether it's a hard text, an easy text, it's just like, well, them's the cards that the Lord dealt me. <laughs> them's the cards I'm going to play. And, and that's it. But you know what? I have found in my own devotions and even in teaching through the word that where you are in the word is where you are, right? It doesn't seem how it's like as we just go verse by verse through the Bible that the Lord speaks to us where we are. He ministers to us through his word in exactly the things that we are going through, exactly the things that we are experiencing. It seems to be like that happens to be what's in the word that we are going through. And I find it kind of funny because it happens every so uh, often, but Many times the Wednesday night study and the Sunday morning study will also parallel. And it's like, you know, you'll have these different topics in the Wednesday and the Sunday. They kind of do this. And every once in a while they just cross and they meet. Well, this Sunday and last Wednesday is one of those times where it's like the topics just, they, they just do this. And it's not, there's no manufacturing in it. It's just, wow, look, it's the same thing. He's talking about exactly the same thing as Peter was talking about on Wednesday. How cool is that? So don't worry, I'm not going to do the exact same study. But I find it interesting just how the Lord works things like that out. And so I believe that the topic that we are speaking on this morning is an important topic. It's something that the Lord is bringing to our attention twice in just a couple of days because it's something that we need to be aware of. It's something that we need to be concerned about. It's something that we need to be um, just ready on. So let's go ahead and we're just going to take up in chapter 15, verse 1. We're going to read through the text and then we'll come back and break it down. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded saying, Honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God. Then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites! 
Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard the saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Then Peter answered and said to him, Explain to us this parable. So Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we pray that you would meet us here today. Lord, that you would speak, Lord, with the authority of heaven. Lord, I pray that you would pour out your spirit upon your servant, that he might just present your word well. Lord, we thank you so much and give all glory to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. So, those of you who were here on Wednesday night, you guys remember the whole topic, the, the corruptible seed, the word of man, the incorruptible seed, the word of God, and um, how Peter was basically saying, it's like, you know, you need to desire the pure milk of the word, right? That, that was a topic where it's like, you know, Peter was really, he was really focusing in on, you know, the fact that it's really not about, you know, the word of men. We, we, we can't be caught up in the word of men because they are corruptible. The glory of man, you know, literally the body of man is like grass and the glory of man, his words, his thoughts, his achievements are like the flower and the grass will fade and the flower will fall. That, that, that is the end of the doctrines of man. It, it, they all will come to an end, but the word of God will have no end. It is steadfast and not one jot or one tittle will pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Right? That was the topic that we were talking about. Well, this morning we have a group of scribes and Pharisees from Jerusalem and they came to Jesus. And it's kind of funny because you know, these guys are looking for an attack. This is like the liberal media looking at potential Republican candidates and saying, you know, the guy stopped to have a drink of water and like that became like, oh, look at that. And they played the, the clip 150 times that night and we're like, yo, look, he took, he's so awkward. I think that'll cost him the presidency because he took a drink of water during his speech. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, it, it's kind of a ridiculous thought. And yet, nevertheless, it's like, that's what people do. And you have these scribes and Pharisees and they're coming to Galilee. You know, that's not a small trip. You know, they're coming to Galilee to address uh, Jesus to address his disciples. And so you'd think if they're coming to attack and slander his disciples, you'd think they'd come with something that's really like, oh, I got them now. I got them now and I'm just going to pummel them, right? You'd think that's what they would come. And you would even think more so that because these are the scribes and the Pharisees, they live in, in Jerusalem. These are the people, the, the, the elite of the, of the religious order. You'd think that these men would be holy men with the heart of God that would be mindful of the scriptures and things like that. And yet... It's not so. These men are men whose hearts are far from God, as, as we read. But not only that, they come, and it's funny what their accusation is. Right? When you read this, you know, oh, you know, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. 
Now, how many of you, if, if somebody was going to come, if there was going to be a reporter at your door and they were going to slander you over all of the media, how many of you would love if the only dirt they had on you was that you don't wash your hands before you eat? That would be amazing, right? So number one, you, you have a testimony of Jesus and his disciples. Look at this. These guys, these scribes and these Pharisees, they are looking for accusations. They're looking for any kind of dirt they can find. And what's the only thing they can find? They don't wash their hands. It's like, I know like, I, I tell Chloe and Livy, it's like, hey, wash your hands before lunch or things like that. But, you know, it's like if I was going to like go to try to like slander some person, it's like that if that's all I had. I probably would just, I'd stay home like, man, that, that guy's bulletproof, right? But nevertheless, that's what they were doing. Well, now you have to think, okay, well, why would they do that? Why would you send a delegation of scribes and Pharisees all the way to Galilee with that accusation? Well, there's a little bit more to it uh, than just what it seems to us. And it actually goes back to tradition. Tradition, right? You guys have seen Fiddler on the Roof, right? Jews are all about tradition, the Jewish people are very traditional. If you go to Jerusalem, it's actually fun. It's really fun just to go to the holy city and people watch because you will start to see that there's all these Orthodox Jews, but every single one of them is dressed. There's like little bunches of them and they're all dressed differently, right? Some of them have these big hats and on their hats, there's like these little things that they look like mink tails hanging off of the rim of their hats. And you go like, you ask your, your, um, your guide, what's that all about? Well, in the place where they were, there was this czar who wanted to insult them and he wanted to mock them for, for being Jews. So what he did, he made them put cattails, cut off cattails and hang them from their hats as a symbol of shame, right? That was what he was going to do. That was how he's going to mock these Jews. Well, they did it long enough. Then all of a sudden, you know, people stopped using cattails and they started finding like mink and other things like that. And it's like, hey, this is kind of nice. Oh, we like this. Hey. And, and it just became tradition. And then when that czar long since dead, they moved to Jerusalem. They're in Israel. It's like, well, you know, tradition. We've always done it that way before. So we're going to keep on it. So they have these mink tails hanging and that's what they do. There's these other guys, you know, they're all in black and everything. They got their curls and they have their socks pulled up to their knees over their black pants. And you think like, what's the story on that one? Well, where they came from, it's really muddy and it's very, there's all this, the snow and some of that. And there's, there's no paved roads. And so you know, your socks, you can, you can afford to wash those all the time because it doesn't matter if they wear out. They're cheap. They're socks, right? But a pair of nice dress pants, right? You can't afford to get those dirty. So they began when they would go to the synagogue, they would, they would pull up their socks over their pants and walk through the mud that way. Then they would get there. Well, it's like, you know, they started, it's like, it's just something that they just kept doing. And so it's like, hey, tradition, we keep, we pull our socks up to our knees. So you, you literally see different groups of Jews from different parts of the world and all of them look different. And they all have these things that they would all do in order. It's like, hey, that's just what we've always done. Okay, well, the Jews in Jesus' day also had traditions. I don't know if they had the socks and the hats like the guys in Jerusalem today, but they had their traditions. One of their traditions is literally the Talmud itself. I've talked about the Talmud. I've quoted from the Talmud before. You, you guys have heard it. Remember, some of them were kind of some silly stuff about, remember, like taking stuff through on the Sabbath. But this is what the Jews believed in Jesus' day. There were two revelations from God. Okay, on Mount Sinai, the Lord with his finger etched into the stone, the commandments, right? Moses came down from there with the law, right? He revealed to Moses the law and that was, you know, holy and binding. But the Jews also believe 
And I, and I will say, maybe not all Jews, but many Jews today believe the same thing. Many rabbis teach this today, that then God also came with further revelation. It's called the oral tradition. And that oral tradition was passed down from teacher to student, from teacher to student, from teacher to student, all through the ages, and it was kept perfectly. It was kept perfectly and finally written down in the form of the Talmud. And many Jews, even to this day, considered the Talmud, the oral law, to be actually of greater weight and importance than the written law itself. And you're like, how is that possible? Tradition. That's how. Well, I was reading through uh, John Corson's commentary just because I, I like to get different views every once in a while. And, and I, I like to go through the commentaries more for um, historical background stuff than for application. But I came across John Corson. John Corson, as you guys know, is a very application teacher. But on this one, he actually had a really cool piece of history. And so uh, I, I'm going to read you this uh, out of his commentary. He says, One such oral tradition dealt with the ceremonial washing of hands. That's in our topic today, isn't it? He said, The rabbis taught that at night... The demon Shibna would often come and sit on a man's hands as he slept. Then they went on to say that if anyone ate with hands that had been sat upon by a demon, the demon could enter into him through the food and take control of him. Therefore, the rabbis concluded before eating, one needed to wash his hands in the following manner. Okay, so now they have very specific rules on how to wash your hand so Shibna cooties get off. Okay, here they come. One was to take one and a half eggshells of water and pour it over his hands as they were pressed together, uh, sorry, like this, uprightly, letting the water drip only as far as his wrist and no further. Then he would flip his hands over, pointing them downward, while yet another one and a half eggshells of water was poured over them. Finally, he was to rub his right fist with his left palm and then his left fist with his right palm. This procedure was followed not only before every meal, but between each course of every meal. Now, are, are you guys getting the picture a little bit more about what's going on with Jesus? So these rabbis, these scribes, these teachers, they had a tradition the oral tradition, which in many ways was actually weightier to them than the written law, the commandments of God, the Torah, right? And there were one of these commandments was that when you sleep, Shibna came and sat on your hands. I guess men's hands are very comfortable, right? I don't know what it is. I don't know why Shibna would like to come and sit on your hands. But you know what? It's like you're sleeping and it's like, you know, if you sleep like this, man, watch out. But nevertheless, it's like somehow at night Shibna comes and he sleeps on your hands. He sits there. He's like, oh man, I'm just going to take a break. And he's a really busy demon because he's got to hit everybody's hand. Okay. So he just, you know, he just takes a break. He's a busy guy. So he, he would do this and they would say, hey, you know what? If a demon ever sits on your hands, you want to wash it. That, that's just a, a real, you know, easy thing to come across. You know, if, if a demon sits on your hands, like you absolutely want to wash your hands, but really that's supersedes the law of God. Like that context, that content. Are you serious? Yeah, they were very serious. And you, you have to understand that these men, it, it wasn't so much about keeping laws. It wasn't so much about drawing close to the Lord because what we're dealing with in these verses today is really a matter of two questions. Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? There's question number one. The second question is from Jesus. Why do you also transgress the commandment of God with your traditions? Okay, the, there's the two questions. You have the corruptible word of man, Shibna, 
sitting on your hands, need some eggshells of water. The corruptible word of man, doctrines of men. Their glory is, oh, look at this, but they will fail and they will fall. Or you have the commandments of God, right? So you have these two questions. Why do you break the, tra- the tradition of the elders? Why do your disciples transgress? That word transgress, it literally means like in a moral sense to, to break it, intentionally break something, a moral teaching, something that it would be uh, religious in nature. Right, so, so there, do you see how they're actually holding this tradition of washing your hands, of shibbing on the whole bit as being something very important? Okay, but here's the thing. These traditions were a lot like merit badges. It's like, you know, why, why on earth would you ever take the Talmud and it's, I'm sorry, but they're kind of ridiculous teachings. Maybe some of them are good. Maybe some of the commentary in them are good, but there's a lot of ridiculous teachings in them too. You know, it's just, uh, when you look at it, it's like, that's kind of silly. You know, no demon Shibna comes and sits on your hands. And if he does sit on your hands, he's, you're not going to get possessed from, from eating with dirty hands. Like, I'm sorry, that's not how it works. But why would men choose to take that and say, you know, oh, this is so important. We must follow this. We must obey this. Why? Because those commands, think about who the Pharisees were. Think about who the scribes were. They were men who had an agenda. They were men who had ambition, and so what were these traditions like? They were like merit badges, weren't they? Have you ever seen like the Boy Scouts, right? And what do they have? They have all these, these merit badges. And as you get these merit badges, eventually when you, when you fill your lanyard full of these merit badges, the sash, then it's like you can become an Eagle Scout. It's like, like it, it shows where you are in the process of your, your becoming an Eagle Scout and such. Okay, well, these men, they had these basically badges as well, and these badges were their traditions. How many traditions could you keep? How many of them could you obey? You know, because they were literally symbols of how far you were in your holiness. They were symbols on how, how righteous you were, how religious you were, how proper you were, and the more of these things that you could tuck under your belts, the more of them that you can sew to uh, your vest showed how holy you were. Right, so these were men who had ambitions, and specifically, this one in particular about the washing of hands, and it's kind of funny how it all comes about, but you know, really in the end, it seems silly, but Jesus, he's, he's going to address something else. Like, you know, we see this one, it's like, okay, well, yeah, they're, they're, trying to, they're trying to slander the disciples, but Jesus, see, he's going to turn things on them. He's going to address more the heart. And I kind of compared these guys, these scribes and these Pharisees as, do you guys know Russell from the movie Up? Remember, it's the little kid, right? And remember he had his wilderness explorer badges? But in, towards the end of the movie, you found out that he had never been camping. So what did those badges mean? They didn't mean anything. You see, Jesus is going to do that. He's going to turn these guys upside down right now. And that, that's what we're about to see because they come and like, look at my badges, your disciples, they don't even wash their hands. They've got shibnakudis and the whole bit. And, and Jesus is about to, he's going to address the heart because see, they're like Russell in this way. They have all of these badges. They do all of these things. They tithe from their salt, literally grains of salt. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten for the Lord. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten for the Lord. Like they, they, they had a lot of badges. You can't, you can't fault them for that. They had a lot of badges. But in the end, those badges, those achievements were all outward and did nothing for transforming the heart. It didn't make them more loving. It didn't make them better fathers. It didn't make them better husbands. It didn't make them better citizens. 
All it did was to puff them up and to cause them to be so incredibly arrogant. And, you know, we see that reading from uh, historical books and things like that. You know, the, the Pharisees were so over the top, full of themselves. And that's really all the fruit of, of this whole thing. You know, traditions like this, uh, not washing your hands at before meals or in between courses of meals. So Jesus, see, he's going to turn it. Now he says in verse three, he says, he answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? Well, not only was their tradition kind of ridiculous, but their achievements were less than nothing because in their ambition to gain status points with men, they were violating the laws of God, the written law of God. See, they had kind of taken the oral law and they had souped it up and said, oh, you know what? It's, it's as weighty. It's the same as the word or maybe even a little bit more so. Okay, there are churches, there are churches in the body of Christ that have embraced such things where the, the, the words of men have become equal with the Bible itself. If you go into many cults, that is absolutely true. If you go into like Mormonism and things like that, you know, the word of the prophet is equal or even above the word of God because you can't trust the word of God. It's fouled and so like that, you know, the book of Mormon, it's what's right. And the, the words of the prophet, you know, and, and that's why they can change stuff. You're like, you're not allowed to drink caffeine ex- until they buy the Coke company. And now you can drink caffeine again. Okay. So it's like, but you can't drink coffee. You can't drink coffee because you know, it's the warmth in your stomach. It's bad for you. And then if you ask, but do you eat soup? Well, yeah. What does that got to do anything? Okay. See, it's the tradition of men. Nevertheless, these guys, they're their ambitions, their traditions had superseded, had nullified the word of God itself. And so these badges that they were boasting in, many of them were actually things that were to be, they were to be regarded as trash, as refuse. Uh, Philippians 3.8, Paul said, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And listen, and count them as rubbish as trash, something that is to be just scoured off and thrown away, thrown to the dogs. He says that I might gain Christ. See, these guys in their traditions, their traditions were keeping them from the Lord. Their traditions were hardening their heart to the things of God. And their traditions were also hardening their hearts to the word itself. And so they didn't really trust in the word. And it's no wonder we ask like, gosh, these, these guys were the or they kept the oracles of God. They had the prophets, they had the law when Christ came and he began to do all the things that Christ was supposed to do. It's like, how on earth could they miss it? How, how could they somehow you know, not understand that Jesus was the Messiah? Well, they were kind of preoccupied with the, with the Talmud. They were preoccupied with the Mishnah. They, they were, they were preoccupied with their traditions and Jesus didn't fit into their traditions. So he says, why do you transgress the commandment of God? Because of your tradition. In verse four, it says, for God commanded. Now, now Jesus, he's going to pull out a different one. He's going to, you know, the the whole Mishnah thing, it obviously it wasn't even worth his commentary, but what he's going to do, he's going to put his finger now on the fact that their hearts are far from God, that they are not following after God and that their traditions can be sinful. Here we have the example. He says, God commanded saying, honor your father and your mother and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. See, they had a tradition. One of the traditions that they did have was this, whatever you would give to the temple, because now the temple is a very important thing, right? It's holy. It's where God's presence abides. And they had this tradition. It was you know, passed down to them. It's in their oral law. And one of the things is that 
if you gave to the temple, that superseded all other debts, all other things that you might owe. So it'd be like this. If you guys racked up a million dollars of debt on your credit cards, and then the, the credit card company comes knocking on your door saying, hey, you need to pay up. You've got a million dollars worth of debt on your credit card. Pay us now or we're going to take you to court. And you said, I'm sorry, I would love to pay you, but with the money that I would pay you back, I'm giving to God right now. It's God's. I'm, I'm, I'm going to the church and I'm writing a check and it's God's. According to the Jews, it'd be like that gift to God would supersede any other debt and the, your creditors would have to go like, Okay, that was a tradition. That was a tradition that was passed down to them. Now, this tradition was made because of ambition and um, their desire to get ahead. Now, it it began with the priests. Now, the priests, well, guess what happens? When you give to the temple, where does it go? To the priests in order to maintain the upkeep of the temple. But if there was a lot and there was more, then it's like, you know, the priests were kind of skimming off the top. And so the priests were like, hey, you know what? Anything that you give, any gift that you give unto the temple will supersede any other debt that you may owe, right? So then you go, okay, but why would the scribes and the Pharisees allow that? Like, that's obviously wrong. Well, scribes and the Pharisees got now a a new merit badge, a a new thing that they were able to uh, pin to their chest and say, oh, look what we do. Because now, look, remember they had the horns. Remember Jesus talked about it, like all these rich guys, and they're pouring in, they're sounding the trumpet and all of that. But then when the, when the little woman with the, with the widow's mites put him in there, he said, truly, she gave more than any of them, right? It's not about sounding forth, like, look at me, look how you know, generous I am to God, and like putting like handfuls of quarters into the offering plate. So it makes a lot of noise jangling, right? It, it's, not, it's not really about that. But see, that's what the Pharisees would do. And so this whole concept is like, hey, you know what? I owe debts over here, but I can like take those debts and give it to the Lord instead and get all of the attention. And so I can feed my ambition. (laughs) That sounds great. Then you think, okay, but why would the people accept that? Why would the people do that? Well, it's kind of hard to go against what the scribes and the Pharisees, the lawyers and the priests go against. But then here's the thing too. Let's say that you hated your dad. Let's say you couldn't stand your father, right? You guys had just a very bad relationship your whole life. And then because of the law of God, honor your father and your mother, the fifth commandment, right? That is binding. You can't get out from under it. So the, the ways that you honor your mother and father, number one, is you treat them respectfully. You speak respectfully to them. But in their infirmity, as they get older, you were to provide for their need if they had need. Can you imagine if today, if the the citizens of the United States all took care of their parents when they had need? Wow, how amazing would that be, right? But but it's so easy for us to just like ah, no, and, and, and like I can't be bothered. I I, I can't. I, I'm really proud of my mom. Uh, she actually, when my, my, my grandfather, her father, uh, he had to you go into a retirement home and my mom couldn't take care of him at her house uh, you know, 24 hours a day, but he was there. But you know what? She visited him all the time. She was constantly going to visit him, constantly being there. She was honoring her, her father. But a lot of people, if you do ministry in, in retirement homes, there's what you call the shut-ins, right? There are people who are in there that never get visitors. They're just, they, they've been abandoned. They've been left. And that's a sad thing. And this commandment, the fifth commandment of God would completely go against that. And it actually says that if you don't, if anybody curses their mother or father, that they are to be put to death. 
if the result of, hey, you know what, I'm not going to honor my parents, I'm just like, you're on your own, mom, you're on your own, dad, that you're going to be put to death, guess what? Mom, dad, come on in. We'd love to have you stay with us. Come, oh, yeah, yeah. W- w- you know, my sewing room, it's gone. Don't even worry about it. It's, I, yeah, just, you know, the kids' toys, just scatter them out of the way. We'd love to have you stay with us. If the threat of death was there, for sure. Well, that was true in this day. It was a death penalty to curse mother or father, to dishonor them. And so, what did they do? If you hated your father, you would have to, you'd have, if they had need in their, in their golden years, you would need to take care of them. In the same way that they took care of you when you were a baby, you have to take care of them. See, you see God's social program? Family take care of family? Works, doesn't it? It's awesome. But here's the thing. If you hated him, it would be a grind. You'd be like, oh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. But then the Pharisees, the, the priests, they gave you a way out. Hey, all you have to do, because remember the priests, they want more money. The Pharisees, they want another merit badge, right? It's their, it feeds their ambition. It, it, it feeds that. And so what do they say? They say, hey, here's the way out of it. Anything you give to the temple supersedes anything that you would owe anybody else. And so, though your parents might come to need your help in their latter years, you can say, Father, whatever profit you might have received from me, sorry, it's a gift to God. You're out of luck, Dad. You're probably just going to have to keep working. Do you see how incredibly sinister that is? Do you see how they had the money? That's literally what this is. They had the money. And here's Dad. And here's the temple. You hear me say it all the time. Whenever I pray for the offering, does God want your money? No. Does God care about your money? No. You're not going to hear that on TV most of the time. God does not care about your money. He does not care about how much you put in the offering. What he cares about is your heart unto the Lord. And money can become a stumbling block to many people. And so that's, hey, there, there, there's the, the use of the tithe. It's just that constant, hey, you know what? The money's not getting the best of me. It's not getting the best of me. It's like taking a vitamin, right? It's like, hey, there you go. But does God need it? No, he owns the cattle of a thousand hill. All the gold and all the jewels of this entire earth belong to him. And if he wants to funnel it this way, he can, right? Absolutely. And yet what you have here is you have people and you have sinful people and they're saying, look, here's my father or here's an opportunity for me to go, you know, sound the horn, and get a lot of notoriety among the Pharisees and the scribes. Like, ooh, look what he did. And all you have to do is say, sorry, Dad, here we go. So the commandments of men are grievous. The commandments of men cause pain. And they're literally founded on ambition, on this desire for more itself. There's ulterior motives that are involved in them. Okay, but what about the, word, what about the commandment of God? I mean, it's literally honor your father and your mother that it may go well with you. It's the first commandment with promise. What is it based on? See, the commandments of men, the doctrines of men, they have ulterior motives. But see, the doctrine of God, the commandments of God, what's the foundation of all the commandments? What do all of the commandments hang on? Love. Absolutely. Love. Jesus said, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. On this hang all of the law and the prophets. The Greek word all means all. All of it. In in Psalm 19, 9 and 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. 
More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. See, the commandments of God are beautiful. They are pure. Like, what can you add? What, what needs to be added to this? Honor your father and your mother. Do you need to have a theological chapter on honoring your father and your mother? Well, there are theological chapters on those things. But do you need them? How many people here in this room, how many of you out on the internet right now understand what it means to honor your father and your mother? It doesn't take anything. It's pure. It's already, it's been refined down to a very pure state. And God is stating it. It is very clear. Its foundation is love. See, the commandments of God are not grievous. It's not just a bunch of, oh, thou shalt nots. Well, I tell my kids, thou shalt not run in the street. Why do I tell them that thou shalt not run in the street? Or I will say hi to you very quickly, right? Why do I say that? Is it because I'm, I'm a total buzzkill and I just want to ruin their day? No, it's because I love them. Because I'm looking out for their best interest. And, and all of the commandments of God are founded in love. It's a desire for God to love us and to protect us and to protect each other from each other. Right? Because we have a way of doing stuff that isn't quite right. Jesus said, he continues on in verse 5, he says, but, but you say, whoever says to his father and mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. See, and that's what the doctrines of men, they almost always do. I can't say they always do, but usually when you have a doctrine that is set apart, the corruptible seed, what it does is it focuses in on one area and it negates other things. It nullifies the word of God. It nullifies verse. It, it nullifies precepts within the word of God. And that happens so often. And that's why I said, you know, I was kind of joking, half joking, but like reality, you know, my theology is the Bible says ology. It's like, what does the Bible say on any given topic? Right. That's what we need to be looking towards. That's what we need to be focusing in on. And he says in verse six, he says, uh, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus, you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrite. Verse seven, big exclamation point, hypocrites, you who pretend to be righteous, you who have assumed the, the position you, you have, t- you've taken up acting like a follower of God. He says, well, did Isaiah prophesy about you saying this people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Their devotion starts from their teeth and moves outward. Right. That's as far as it goes. Their devotion. I think that was Matthew Henry. He said their devotion begins at their teeth and it goes outward, but it doesn't go in. It doesn't sink down deep into their hearts. It doesn't change who they are. It doesn't minister to their character. It's just out here. It's the smile on their face. It's the lip service. He says, and that's who they are. They draw near to God with their mouth and they honor him with their lips, but their heart is far from them. And what is the commentary? What is it now? Those people that they sit, remember, they're not like non-believers. They're not people who have just completely turned their back on God and are far away. These are people who come to church. These are people who sit in the pews. These are people who offer probably the most in the offering plates. And they're there. They're trying, they're drawing near to God. They're worshiping. Their hands are up higher than everybody else's. They're crying. And yet in verse nine, he says, and in vain, they worship me teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. Like, wow, how important is good doctrine in a church? 
How important is it that we study the Word of God, that we, like Peter said, desire the pure milk of the Word and not go after strange doctrines, not be, not let our ears get tickled by every little wind of doctrine that comes up and woo and, and I was talking, I was like, guys, you know, how many of you guys like to read Christian authors, like books and things like that, commentaries and, and all the such? I enjoy it. What's the time that you spend on those books compared to the Bible? How much time do you spend in corruptible word rather than spending time in the incorruptible word? Because now there's a lot of good things that are found in those books. I don't deny. I read them myself. But they are also mixed in with those books, things that are not the word of God. And do you guys remember the the advice that Gaylord Tohill gave me? The more you inject of yourself, the more God's word is thinned out. It's diluted. How much time do you spend in the word of man compared to how much time you spend in the word of God? You should spend the majority of your time in the word of God and you spend extra time in the word of man. So he says, he, he calls the multitudes to himself and he says, hear and understand. So now he's got, he's going back now to what the Pharisees addressed. Why don't they wash their hands? So he's like, First he, he, first, he had a point on how their traditions could be very misguided and that they could even be sinful. But now he's going to address the actual washing of the hands. So he calls the multitude to himself and he says, hear and understand. Now, it, it sounds like at this teaching, the scribes and Pharisees left because his disciples are going to come with a report. Hey, don't you know they were offended? And Jesus is like, whatever. So at this point, I don't believe that the scribes and Pharisees are still there. When he said that you've broken the commandments of God by your traditions, they were like, and off they went. Okay. So he says, this is what he addresses to the crowd now. He says, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. At that point, the disciples come to him and they say, gosh, didn't you know that they were offended by that? Guys, do you understand that? The things that you eat. Now, some people will try to say, oh, you know what? Uh, we were actually talking this morning about how like Adam and Eve started, you know, they, they were vegetarians until after the fall, and then they began eating meat and things like that. But there are books out there that will say that you are less of a Christian if you eat meat because the pure and holy, the righteous, the, the people in the Garden of Eden, you know, Adam and Eve, they ate this way. And so you need to eat that way. You've ever had that trip put on you? Right, what about the whole um, women with nursing compared to bottle feeding? Ever had that trip put on you? Right? It's like those things go through. It's like the, people try to put these trips on you about things that are, that are inconsequential. Th- things like food. And, and it's like, oh, you know, I, I refrain from this, but, you know, like this is okay. And, and we're not talking about like getting drunk and things like that. We're talking about, you know, whether you drink a soda or uh, you drink coffee or if you only drink sparkling water, not tap. Okay, it's like people get like really bent up and caught up in a lot of different things. But really, you know, here's the basic teaching. It's very simple. The word of God is simple and it's good for it's like sweeter than honey than the honeycomb. Right. What goes into the mouth that does not defile you. Okay, it may make you unhealthy. It may make you uncomfortable, but it does not defile you. It is not a moral thing. Food is neither good nor bad. It is neutral. It's how you use it. Okay. Right? It doesn't matter. He says, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. How many people have you heard literally say, hey, you know what? It's in my liberty to cuss. 
I've literally heard that. It doesn't matter what you say. They're just sounds. Right? If I was, if I was in another country, I wouldn't understand what their cuss words meant. So who cares? It doesn't make any difference at all. Does that follow the teaching of Jesus? It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out. Are words important? Yes, they are. His disciples come to him. We're, we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, bang that drum a little bit more in just a second. But he says, then his disciples came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? So now, you've also heard it said, you know, we don't want to offend people, right? That, that's one of the reasons why a lot of people are afraid of evangelism. There are pastors who actually teach against evangelism because they're afraid of offending people. But you know what? We don't want to intentionally offend people, but we do need to tell them the truth. And here we have Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, right? The guy with the soft hair, blue eyes, the lamb around his shoulders, that guy, he offended people. Did you know that? Is that, is, is that heretical for me to say that from the pulpit? Jesus offended people, right? He, he wasn't just somebody who like just said what everybody needed to hear. Well, he did say what they needed to hear, but it wasn't always what they wanted to hear, right? He offended them. But I, I want you to hear what he, his comment when they said, when the disciples came and said, Lord, this is bad ministry. You offended the people you were talking to. This is what he says. Every plant in verse 13, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. And you know what? This is a very chilling statement. This is a very chilling statement. And you know what? I actually was actually on the verge of tears when I was thinking about this because there are people that the Lord will say this to. Let them alone. Do you understand what is being said here? This is the savior of of the world. This is the Lamb of God who is going to shed his blood for the remission of sins. And what does he say of these men? They are not of my Father. Let them alone. Let them alone. That's scary to me. Thankfully, I, I don't know who is of the Father and who is not of the Father because I would have thought that I was not of the Father several years ago. But today, here I am. So you know what? I'm just going to assume that everybody is of the Father and I will minister to every single person unless the Lord specifically tells me not to. And even then, like Jeremiah, I'll probably keep doing it anyway. But you know what? There are people that are not His. And He says, let them alone. And His commentary towards those men who are bound up in the traditions of men, the corruptible seed. He says, they are blind leaders of the blind. If the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. The people who promote these doctrines and the people who follow them are blind. And He says, you know what? They're going to follow it. God is speaking. His word is going forth and he is drawing people to himself. But there are people who will follow false doctrines, heretical doctrines. They will marry them. And it doesn't matter if you tell them the truth, you break it down, you show them the verses, you show them the Greek, you show them the Hebrew and you put, you present it all out to them. Will they believe? No. Why? Because it's not about truth. It's about their belief. I believe this. I have an ambition. I have an idea. I have something that I want and I can get out of it from this doctrine. So I am going to bang on this doctrine all day long. It doesn't matter what you say. So Jesus says, leave them alone. Leave them alone. So then Peter, he says, well, okay, so explain to us this parable. And Jesus is like, are you also still without understanding? Now, like, who's the other person who's without understanding? The scribes and the Pharisees, right? The, the people who didn't understand, who got offended and walked off. So Jesus is kind of saying like, Peter, don't you get it? He says, do you not understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? That's it. 
Right? There is nothing holy. There is nothing spiritual about the drink that you drink and about the food that you eat. Right? It's just food. It, 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 it takes its course within the body. Now, there are some things like strong drink, alcohol, getting drunk and things like that. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I don't know where you stand on the liberty of alcohol and all that kind of stuff. Really, in the end, I'll just say this. Does alcohol have any potential for good in your life? Well, it lowers my blood pressure. So does exercise. Okay, move on. Okay, does it have the potential of doing, if you got, if you accidentally drank too much, is it going to make you a better driver? No, absolutely not. If you drank a a, a lot of alcohol and got really, really loaded, are you going to go out and be like, you're just magnanimous and do like the most amazing, nice things to people? More than likely not. You might laugh a lot, but in the end, you're just going to be like, oh, and, and, and really what alcohol and other drugs like that, you know what it does? It, it, it deteriorates the moral understanding within your heart. Like, do you notice that it always attacks that? Like, like people, w- when they drink a lot of alcohol, they end up like removing clothing. They, they do things that they normally wouldn't do, things that their, their um, morals would tell them not to do. And yet all sense, like those are the things that seem to go away. Why does it address those things? I have no idea, right? But, but the, the moral uh, brain cells, those are the first ones affected by alcohol, right? It, it never causes you to go like, oh, I'm going to read my Bible right now, Lord. I'm so, oh, Lord, that's amazing. That alcohol is just, oh, and, and make you fall in love with the word of God. It never does that, at least that I've ever heard of. I've never heard of alcohol being like, hey, you know what? The pastor got drunk right before service and man, he did an awesome service. I've never heard that. Ever, because it doesn't go that way. Yes, alcohol can cause you to do to, to do unholy things, but really, in the end, we're talking about water. We're talking about bread. That's that's the context of what Jesus is addressing right now, right? That's what he's addressing. And you know, really, in the end, whether you eat meat or whether you're a vegetarian, whether you eat vegan or whether you eat, hey, you know what? I, I was kind of joking and said to Rich and Carrie that, hey, you know what? I, I'm, I'm a vegetarian once removed, right? I eat the cows who are vegetarians. And, you know, and, and that, that's, that's what I am. Okay? So it, it doesn't really matter. You know, those things don't matter. They don't profit you anything. He says, but those things which proceed out of the mouth, they come from the heart and they defile a man. Words matter, right? Words matter. And which words are you going to focus on? Are you going to focus on the words of men or are you going to focus on the word of God? The words that proceed out of your mouth. Now, in James, he kind of addressed this whole thing about, you know, about the words of our mouths. He says in chapter three, verse nine, he says uh, with it, speaking of the tongue, he says, we bless God, the father. That's a good word, right? And with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. In Romans 10.10, it says, For the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. God has done this amazing thing. Guys, He has spoken His truth. And guys, does God consider what you say important? If Romans 10.10, it can be considered a reliable text, then it says, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Guys, how important are words? The right words. How important are they? How defiling are the wrong words? Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace 
to the hearers. Guys, words are important. They're not just sounds. They're not just phonics. They're not just, it, just little wavelengths flowing through the air. See, what they are is in the same way, remember we talked about the offering being a symbol of your heart? The words that you speak represent what the contents of your heart are. What are you going to sell them with, guys? The tradition of the elders or the commandments of God? That which was given at Sinai or that which was given in secret revelation? What will you follow? What will you fill your heart with? Because what you fill your heart with, that's where your heart, you fill your heart with what you will and you speak from the overflow of your heart and then the tongue sets the course for the direction of uh, the rest of your members is what James says. So guys, words are important. We have two questions. Why do you transgress the word of man? Why do you transgress the word of God? Which one is more important? Guys, what really matters? What will you do? What will you say? Who will you believe? Who will you follow? That's what Jesus is addressing here. He's addressing the heart. Because the word of man, it, it usually stems from ambition, right? Selfish desires, selfish motivations. But the word of God is founded in love. Which do you need more of in your life? The love of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we are thankful that it does not return void. Lord, you have very clearly demonstrated, Lord, how the word of men, the corruptible seed, Lord, how... It can be nonsense or it can be devastating. It could be sinful. But your word remains forever pure and holy, untainted. And so, Lord, we just thank you this day for your word, that it is perfect. And, Lord, it is our desire to desire the pure milk of the word, to cut our teeth on it, that we may then be ready for the meat of the word. Lord, we pray that you would fill our hearts with your spirit, Lord, that you would give understanding and give utterance that we may be called the people of the word, the people of the way, those who worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, we don't let our worship be vain, but let it be holy and pleasing to you as we draw near to you, Lord, as you have dictated and not as men. We love you, Lord, and give all glory to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.